Welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, and I'm a photographer, podcaster, and writer. And I love art and artists, and I love asking questions and having real conversations. I have a curious nature, and I'm really interested in people, who they are deep down and why they do what they do, what do they love, and how did they get where they are, and where are they headed? Austin is a great city, and I'm grateful to be in the midst of so many talented and amazing artists and those that support them. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe where you listen and visit scottdavidgordon.com to learn more about me, other podcasts I produce, and to read my almost daily journal where I share my photography, thoughts and connections, and books that I'm listening to or reading. And reach out if you have an idea for your own podcast and don't really want to deal with the learning curve and all the equipment. Maybe I can help you make your dream come true. This episode is brought to you by one of East Austin's newest fine art galleries, Ivester Contemporary. Now an important part of the Canopy Creative Complex. Ivester is focused on connecting the Austin community with a diverse group of Texas-based artists and connecting those artists with a broader audience beyond the Lone Star State. The gallery has two rotating exhibition spaces and compelling new shows every month. Owner Kevin Ivester believes the arts offer a space and opportunity to form a deeper relationship to ourselves, our local community, and with the world. Come down to the gallery and join the conversation. You can follow the gallery on Instagram at Ivester underscore contemporary, I-V-E-S-T-E-R, and visit IvesterContemporary.com to make an appointment to see the latest exhibition in person. Now for the interview. My guest this week has had such an interesting and diverse life. Artist Valerie Chazonet works full-time as an artist and teacher, but previously spent a big part of her life as an anthropologist, studying Russian, and raising her two sons. Now her two primary mediums are watercolor and sculptures made from raw pieces of welded steel. A lifetime of influences in the realm of art and many diverse cultures all culminate now in the stories she tells with her colorful paintings and spirited sculptures. I love the joy that Valerie brings to everything, and I'm inspired by her adventurous, playful, and rich way of life. Here is my very fun interview with Valerie. Bonjour, Valerie. Bonjour, Scott. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. I wanted to learn how to say that in French, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> Bienvenue sur mon podcast. Uh, okay, well, right. I'll, I'll let you handle that. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. So wonderful to be here with you. In my kitchen. Yeah, in your French kitchen, I guess. Provençal kitchen. Yeah. My Provençal kitchen. Where you have cooking classes, cooking in French lesson classes and all kinds of fun things. Uh-huh. And that's my tower of observation here. That's like my kitchen oh, yeah. table, but it's also my desk. And it's also my tarot of observation. I feel like I'm I'm the queen of Barton Hills from here. Yeah, you have a beautiful view. You have a huge yard. You have all kinds of. You have a beautiful, uh, a gorgeous little fountain with birds frolicking around in the water. It's very nice here. And your house. Uh, I mean, it's been on the weird homes tour. It's so interesting. It's so jam packed with art and color and sculptures, and uh, it's just a delightful place. Well, thank Plants you. and flowers and. Thank and you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you. You know, I, I picked up on this quote from your website. I scoured your entire website. I read everything on there. 
um, including your bio, which I definitely want to get to, which is so interesting that you illustrated so beautifully your life story. And um, I love this quote. You say, I'm blessed with a happy disposition, a lot of energy, and a genuine love for people. It shows in the colorful exuberance of my paintings and in the expression and movement of my sculptures. When I make art, I feel aligned with my purpose. Mm. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's the top, right? I mean... Uh, Yeah, so why would I want to do anything else? Yeah, that's amazing that you found that, that you've kind of gotten to that point. But the journey... I know has been a long one and you spent the first 26 years of your life not even really making art. So No, well, I was always my parents had a house full of art and I was always making stuff. I mean, I was crocheting clothes for my dolls when I was probably 4, you know. And I was like making stuff always. Okay. And then when I was at school, my art teacher was pushing me, but so was my Russian teacher, my math teacher. I was, you know, I was a very good student, I guess. Yeah. And so all the teachers wanted me to follow that path. And it was kind of a, how am I going to do all the things I want to do? And I'm really happy now to be, so I'm 60 now. Yeah. So Usually, <laughs> I, usually I use like bad words when I talk about that. But anyways, I'm gonna do it. I'm not <laughs> okay. gonna. I'm not gonna pollute your, pat- <laughs> okay, your okay, podcast you. with that. But you can say whatever you want. But. Okay. So um, anyway, that's kind of a shocking thing. However, um, the advantage is, I feel like I'm finally at a point where I've been able to merge several aspects that were all here and there and here and there, and now they're all blending nicely Mm. into me feeling like, oh, you know, I like where my life is now. Yeah, it's a cool life. Yeah. Um, You know, when I think about your work, for anyone that doesn't know you, they should definitely look at your website, but you primarily do watercolor and sculpture with steel welding. Yes. And, you know, your watercolors are just so colorful and, and fun, but then the the, the interesting thing for me about the sculptures is that even without you telling someone what they are, I mean, you can see it. Like, they're so simple. They're, like, made of these basic raw steel shapes that are welded together. I could just – I mean, I see pictures of you and wearing the whole outfit with the, with the hood and everything. It's so different from what I'm looking at right now. It's like <laughs> – it's hard to imagine that you do that too. But, you know, there's, like, just this soul – and the spirit in your work. And, it, you know, every piece has its own personality and character. And then when you describe what it is, it's like, yes, I see that. I see uh, it. Thank you. You know, it's so cool. Thank you. Like, I love I mean, the, the rawness. Of it. Thank you so much. I really love what you're saying because I've been reflecting on why those are my two main mediums. Hmm. Uh, and I also love oil, oil painting and pastels and just, and then fiber art, but those are my main two. Yeah. And I think the two of them have in common that there is a certain way of relinquishing the control. Mm. So I'm in, I'm, I, I'm in a dance with the medium. The steel, of course, like a very good blacksmith, you know, can have a full control of exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And that's not me. I love blacksmithing. I love welding. I like the energy of it and I like the way it turns out to be. And I think those marks really show the rawness you talk about. I love that you're saying this because to me, the material, it's industrial, it's heavy, it's, uh, it could even be qualified as like ugly, you know, in a yeah. way, but it is, it is the strength of what the experience is of being a person. 
and what the experiences of living on this planet. Mm. And it's, you know, it's rough and it's hard. Yeah. And of course, people see me as a usually pleasant person and smiling yeah. and very, you know, welcoming and, and blonde and just, and they have this whole, and a petite, yeah. you know, and, and, and feminine and they, they have no clue about that <laughs> other aspect. And I love that. So like one thing that happened in the pandemic was, um, I've been catching up on some reading and I've been catching up on a lot of music, which has mm. been super fun to do. But one book I picked up is called Testosterone Rex. Mm. And it's really, it's by this woman, Cornelia Fine. And it's really brilliant, but it was very liberating for me because it was written on the page. It was exactly what I've been experiencing all along, which is... Um, there is not that much difference. The, you know, there are biological, but purely sexual differences between men and women. And for the rest of it, our personality, our intelligence, our way of perceiving the world, all our cognitive processes, we're very much the same. There is no way of defining a masculine and a feminine. And for me, I was always comfortable with being both very masculine in my perception in relation to my dad, say, or my mm. brother or my guy friends. And I feel, yeah, you know, I'm part of that too. And my activities, you know, the motorcycles and the parachuting and the welding and all those things yeah. that people associate more with like a, you know, a tomboy. Yeah, right. And at the same time, I'm very feminine in very many other ways. And I feel like it's never a conflict. Hmm. Yeah. And so I feel really grateful that we live in a time and in a society where I can be both those things and not, you know, um, it's not considered forbidden. It's not forbidden you yeah. know, for me to do those things. So it's, it's nice. I like the contrast, the watercolor too. I'm a, I'm a very strong colorist, as you can tell by my house and I yeah. love colors. And of course, all my steel, it goes between, Black, silver, <laughs> you know, rusty brown, yeah, uh, orangey. Right. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought And of that. it's completely m monochromatic, yeah. if you want. Whereas, like, my watercolors, I go for the really mm, bright colors. Yeah. But both times when I do the watercolor, I, what I love about it is how it's a dance with the medium. And that's something I learned from one of my teachers, you know, Jan Heaton, that yeah. you interviewed, of yeah. course, is a fabulous watercolorist. And I feel forever grateful that I was able to do some workshops with her and learn because it's a it's a gorgeous dance looking at her paint you know she's like painting and the the flow of it and the brush and mm. you can see like the i mean it's like watching a zen master wow. with a giant sword you know <laughs> doing some incredible thing and really the inspiration has been tremendous and for me that was a discovery of a medium that suits me really, really well. Yeah. And I think watercolor in particular works well when you decide that you're going to dance with the medium. If you want to control, 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 you kind of kill it. And mm. I, th I think a lot of mediums, it's not the same with oil. With oil, you go over, you know, there is a lot of control. You can, you blend, you do all kinds of things for several right. days, you know, yeah. until it's dry. And then even if it's dry, you paint over, no problem. And it could be photorealistic. Even. It can be I photorealistic. Mean, it can be abstract. You can do texture. I mean, you can do all kinds of wonderful things. And I love oil painting and I love to do it too. Uh, with watercolor, it's uh, kind of a spiritual medium, hmm. you know, in a way. And for me, still definitely, it. I mean, this quote where I feel aligned with my purpose, that's how I feel when I'm in the welding booth. I'm there and I'm welding and I'm looking and this thing is coming together and I'm putting it together. 
and I get this, I get lifted. Yeah. You know, I have this energy going through me when I do this. I think that might be what people can see and pick up. I hope people can pick it up when they look at the work. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 So you can sense, uh, and it's about expression, and it's about movement, and it's about people and stories. I mean, it's just, yeah, the stories. I mean, just the symbols, the shapes, the the kind of uh, very fundamental, rudimentary kind of expression or meaning of it. You know, I mean, I wonder if that comes from your, another thing we haven't even talked about, your whole, your years of anthropology, yes. you know, and studying primitive cultures. And um, yeah. it seems like there's some tie in there too. Oh, for sure. For sure. And actually, that's really what happened. So, you know, we were saying as a kid, I was not oriented towards the arts, even though I was always doing them for fun, like kids do. It's a play, really. Yeah. Art, art is a play, you know, yeah. when, until you become a, a professional and then it becomes work and, you have to and control play. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Then, well, then you, then you have to do marketing and, you know, whatever. Oh, but, right, right. You know, it becomes, and then training and then you, you know, there are all kinds of other things that yeah. come into play. But, um, I, I studied Russian, so I followed, I had an excellent Russian teacher and I followed, uh, that teacher through my schooling. And then I went to school in Paris and studied. Uh, Russian and got a master's. And then I continued on my studies and became an anthropologist of Siberia. And I really wanted to come to America. And uh, I had done a trip when I was 20. I actually, believe it or not, I hitchhiked from New York to Montreal to Vancouver to LA for two months by myself, Whoa. which was nuts and <laughs> fortunately my my parents didn't know exactly where yeah. i was and well you know thank god you and didn't know where you were probably. no i did i did very well i knew okay. exactly where i was and i knew exactly what i was doing oh, too which cool. is like i was on the trans-canadian and i was and i saw my first aurora borealis oh, and then wow. i saw my first raccoon you know in the flashlight of a truck you know yeah. i mean like i mean those adventures <laughs> and then many more adventures we won't talk about here but yeah. um in any case so I had this fascination uh, and, and I knew I would come back. I stopped in San Francisco for half a day because it was the end of my trip. I would get uh, held behind because I met all these wonderful people that would invite me to stay with them yeah. and then protect me and feed me. And then, you know, and then they would put me back at the side of the road and do the, do the <laughs> sign of the cross, you know, like blessing me. It's like, girls, just like, we hope you make it, you know. It wow. was funny. But at, and at the end, I was in San Francisco for a very short time. And I thought, well, that's okay, because I know I'll come back. Huh. And so when it was time to apply for, I, I figured out a, a PhD, a, a doctorate theme that would relate Siberia to North America. And that was my ticket to come to the US, really. Yeah. I applied to several uh, universities and I got into Berkeley. So I, I chose, I got into several, but I chose Berkeley because I had met somebody who invited me to stay with her and uh, my, my my wonderful Jewish mom who <laughs> treated me like truly like a Jewish mom. It was fabulous, you know, just like spoiling me and bragging yeah. about me, taking me to everything. It was wonderful. And I spent an amazing year doing all of this. And then I continued on and then I was going to go to Russia to St. Petersburg to do the second part of my work. And I was offered a job at the Smithsonian, which of course I took. I mean, it was just the opportunity of a lifetime. And I was really young. I was 25 when that happened. And it was a big responsibility. It was incredible. And I took it. And when I was there for years working with these artifacts, and these artifacts are, you look at them and you 
handle i mean when you work in a museum you can actually handle things with gloves you know and you feel something and then they talk to you and then i was seeing all this and then i was writing and lecturing about and then curating some of those artifacts so thinking about how they work and what they were about and and then i i couldn't stand it i had to make something yeah and so i signed up for uh, art school at night and i would walk from the museum i was in the museum of natural history on the mall mm -hmm. and I would walk past the White House and go to the Corcoran so it was like a you know maybe 15 minute 20 minute walk after my work and I'd go to night classes and uh, and that's but that's exactly what you're talking about like it was all my first work was making masks and they were very much inspired by mm. Northwest Coast uh, Yupik and Tlingit cultures so um let's we definitely you definitely spanned a huge amount of time there but i wanted to back up a little bit ah. and just touch on some things that about your history mm -hmm. that stood out to me that i just wanted to kind of talk about from your bio like i said you should mm -hmm. uh, people should check that out on your website it's really interesting so you were born in paris and you lived there until you were 10 yes and you talk about going to the Louvre with your grandmother and you especially love like the Egyptian yes. exhibitions. That's well, something I love too. I, maybe that's just like a universal thing that everyone yes, loves. I think, Egyptian and I, you stuff. know, what kid can resist an exhibit with mummies? Yeah. I mean, you know, mummies, of course, all the kids. Want, and then one of them was unwrapped and then there were some kids that were dead and, you know, mummified. <laughs> it's just like, and then the cats, you know, yeah, that are right. like so regal and they stand up and then the, the gorgeousness of all of this. It was so mysterious and strange. And then... Um, I mean, I just think that's such a cool upbringing though, like living so close to all that art, a city of art. And yes. like you said in your bio, being born so close to where so many artists, yeah. you know, uh, old artists in Paris used to live and practice. And there's yeah, like a little so, connection there. Yeah, right? when, so I was there, but I was there again as a student. Okay. And then I lived... Uh, right, yeah. Rue Hippolyte Mandron in the Alésia area, you know, and uh, I was above Giacometti's studio. So I could see down, look down at his glass roof. Right. Uh, and then I saw there was, it was, he was gone. He was not there, but um, some of his sculptures were still there. And there was another sculptor working there. And at night, sometimes, you know, when I was not sleeping, I would just open, I was on the sixth floor. Yeah. I would open my window onto Paris at night, which is amazing. Yeah. And I would like, smell the smells and hear the first trucks of things and then you can smell like the bakeries are the bakers they yeah. do the croissants for the day and the bread for the day they start at four in the morning so yeah. you can start smelling the smells and then wow. and then the sculptor was sometimes also working at night like artists do and so i could see him work there and i was just an incredible experience i just you know just having all that input all that all those things that you saw for decades of your life that all were kind of yes. filling your well, like mm -hmm. think about the artist's exactly. way, like filling your well, all Absolutely. those for 25 years. So then it, then when you were 10, you moved to Provence oui. with your family mm -hmm. and you were, you mentioned in your bio about the influence of Cezanne there. Yes. Uh, so there's yeah. another, it's like all this art influence throughout your whole life. It's so interesting. Yeah. And the colors, I mean, everybody talks about the light of Provence. They are whole, exhibits and catalogs art catalogs you know that are about the light of provence and truly it's amazing yeah and uh, the colors um, of the earth and the rocks and then yeah i, I was in x 
Cézanne's town and the mountain we would climb the mountain all the time the Saint Victoire you know so mm -hmm. I know it really well it's my mountain yeah and uh, yeah you said that there's a definitely an emphasis in your family on being outdoors and nature and everything that's really yes. and being so close to these mountains it just sounds amazing yeah yeah wow um another thing that came up on your bio age 13 two months after Picasso oh. passed away you went to see this very important Huge exhibition for you. It was very important for me. And um, the whole Palais des Papes, which is this huge, huge building, when the popes, there were some popes that were kind of competing with the Rome popes in yeah. France at oh, some period. The bigger thing. And then they, they, well, no, it was just like they wanted to have the authority of the Catholic oh, okay. Church. Right. So they were actually questioning the authority. But they had this giant pa ah. palace, uh, Le Palais des Papes, which is huge um, and has had amazing exhibits that I, I've seen lots of amazing exhibits there and Avignon where it is mm -hmm. is a fortified town so you go there and then you have to pass those uh, walls and oh, wow. it's really and then there's a bridge that's famous in kids song that's like half fallen into the Rhone River it's very beautiful and in the exhibit my mom took me to see this big retrospective and I had not seen Picasso. I mean, it's really hard to imagine how could you not have seen Picasso ever because it, he's so famous. I mean, if you ask people, it's like, do you have a, you know, do you know of a, any contemporary or, you know, modern artists? Yeah. It's just like Picasso, obviously, right. everybody knows. But it was a shock because it was chronological and a lot of it was by color. Mm. And that really, I would get into the rhythm of the room after room after room after room, the evolution and the different periods. It was very, very important exhibit for me, but without a question. Wow. That's so cool. And then, like you mentioned, in middle school, you started studying Russian. And, you know, you were mentioning earlier just this adventurous life. I mean, you've had uh, an unbelievable life. I mean, I can't even believe <laughs> you. You started studying Russian, and then at some point... As an adult, maybe in college or beyond college, you went to Ukraine and Uzbekistan for yeah. some five weeks or something. And I, was, an I was three months in Ukraine, and part of that was uh, several weeks in, in Uzbekistan. Wow. Which was also very beautiful. Um, and you had art influences there, you mentioned. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I was at the museum all the time in Kiev. I would go... Um, I'd go with my boyfriend. There were two things we were doing outside of school. I had a, a Finnish boyfriend. There were two groups of Western people there. There was the French, and there were about 10 of us, and about 15 Finns. And everybody else was from communist countries, from the uh, Soviet bloc. Mm -hmm. And some African countries that were also considered communist, and then North Korea, etc. So we were spending a lot of time together, but we would go to museums and see the art mostly from the, um, they're called the ambulant painters. They were painters that were painting in a realistic way, but that wanted to capture life in the countryside mm. and not just the life of, you know, the noble people. And it was not like uh, vanity portraits yeah. at all. It was just the way the Russian, so it was like the Russian soul, you know, was being expressed in those paintings. Oh. And that was really fun. And the other thing we're doing, we signed up for the choir and we were singing together oh, in all wow. those languages with the university choir in Kiev. And that was very, very fun. So this trip was a part of your studies? Yes, as in... a Russian student. Okay. I was, it was the year I was doing my master's uh, that I spent three months in, in Ukraine uh, in a Russian language program. Okay. So it's not just to learn the language, but you're learning 
everything else too about the culture and yeah you have an experience of being in the country but the truth is as a language teacher i can tell you it's very difficult to really be fluent in a language if you don't I if you're see. not immersed in the country yeah and so I, some of my students have spent maybe 10 years studying you know between school and college and it, it's very hard to speak French. French is a difficult language. And Russian is very difficult too. Yeah. So for me, I had like I was working towards my master's and I was really proficient in old Slavonic linguistics and all kinds of, you know, obscure things. But I could, it was very hard to speak mm. until I was in Ukraine. And then it all suddenly clicked and oh, gelled. Yeah. And then suddenly I was able to speak it. So then, as you had mentioned just a few minutes ago, you ended up in D.C. for 11 years, yep. and you were working on this Soviet-American exhibition on the peoples of Alaska and Siberia. And the- yeah, and northern Canada. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then you spent you know 11 years visiting all the museums in, in yeah, D.C., I, like you said. Well, it, yeah, so there were two things. There were all the museums that we went to visit to to choose the artifacts, ah, you right. know, so it was New York, like the uh, American Museum of Natural History, and then museums in Alaska and museums in Siberia. Wow. And that's how we were, well, f- there were two exhibits. There was one main exhibit where when I entered, they already had formulated what they were going to do, and they needed somebody who knew Siberian anthropology, but that oh, okay. also was on their team and spoke English. So I was both a translator and a researcher and a coordinator of all you know i was kind of um the in-between when there were negotiations oh nice yeah so that was really fun and then the other thing was then they said well let's do a small one that because that first exhibit was huge it was only in major museums okay and uh it went to i think eight uh the denver museum uh, new york and seattle and anchorage uh, los angeles oh that's my clock bird Oh, nice. No worries. <laughs> and uh, um, his happy bird, too. Yeah. He's lucky. I like that. Yeah. And then after that, they decided they wanted to have a small, smaller version that would be portable and could go to the small communities in Alaska and Siberia. Oh, and nice. they gave it to me. So that was really my project. Say, okay, Valerie, you do this. And we went as a team to Siberia to pick the artifacts for this and meet the Russian team. And it was an incredible trip. It Is that was, the same trip where you spent like months living with native no, people? No, that was, I only, I lived with Inuit people in Northern Canada the year prior my work at the Smithsonian. That's okay. when I was a student at Laval University in Quebec City. Okay. My professor from Berkeley, Nelson Graeburn, was taking a sabbatical and invited me and another student to travel with him to the Arctic in the winter. So wow. I did that and we spent three months in the winter with Inuit people in, you know, Baffin Island. That's and amazing. I mean, how many people get to and, do that? And, and, and living with families and eating, you know, seal meat right from the seal, like on the kitchen floor. And, you know, wow. it was incredible and talking, doing interviews of a lot of people. And then in the summer, I went with my professor, Bernard Saladin from Laval University and I spent one month in the summer. So that's a very different uh, type of life. You know, there is less snow and there are like summer camps where, I mean, it's still around 32 degrees at all times. There's still ice flows, you know, on the water, but it's not snowing everywhere. And I spent one month in the summer working with him on, 
adoption and on gender identity, which was he was a very much of a pioneer at the time mm. before the the modern time of people questioning, you know, the gender identities. Interesting. And it was really amazing. So that was also an experience which I don't think could be uh, experienced now. Yeah. Because there are like so many other political issues happening with anthropologists going to a village like this. And, oh, yeah. You know, so that was kind of like the end of an era in many ways. But of course, I'm grateful for this experience and um, the children in particular were fabulous. You know, in those villages, they would, they have a, a Inuit, Inuit culture has a, there's a lot of humor in Inuit culture. And little kids would walk behind me like a Haluna woman, you know, and they would like, I would turn and then they were like behind me doing this funny way of walking, <laughs> which, you know, and it was, I, be, I became friends with those kids yeah. and they would come and um, I was very moved with the pandemic. I opened some big boxes and I found a big box of photos from that time. Oh, wow. In particular... Uh, photos of one little girl in particular really loved me and uh she would wait for me to come back from field work and then when I was doing my notes and my work she would sit next to me and I share my markers and my oh, wow. pages and she would like go and then look into my stuff and then wear my clothes and it, it was just adorable and cute and we couldn't speak we didn't have a common language yeah. you know she didn't speak English or French and I didn't speak Inuktitut so uh but we would buy by we became friends through sign language and just smart a lot of smiling and joking and yeah you know and uh, i was very sad when i had to leave I, I, I was heartbroken i was totally heartbroken to leave i'm curious that experience living with those people and your you know years of studying uh anthropology and maybe even just more specifically, just being there with them. Like, what is there anything that you learned about the way they live their life that you took away that influences how you live your life now? Or any like really memorable experiences from that time? Yeah, there's, there are some, you know, a few little features where I could think of an inward way of doing it, like nursing your children forever. Actually, okay, so that would be one big one. When I had my own children, I nursed them. Some African friends told me, Oh, you're nursing like an African woman, you know, until they're like, they can talk. And, uh, but I, yes, so I did. And it was more of an Inuit way of doing it because I would talk to those moms and then the kids were like running around outside and then getting into, you know, rough time. And then they were hungry and they run in the house. And instead of going like an American kid to the fridge and, you know, grabbing something, they would come and pull the mom's t-shirt and get a little snack and then, oh, <laughs> you wow. know, and then go on out running. You know, that was like, <laughs> just like perfect. And uh, it's like, Oh, there is some, there's some wisdom to this. Uh, of uh, That's what, that's what really, that's what our boobs are made for. Imagine, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that truly. Um, so I kind of use that. But other than that, I would say about your question. Even just like a philosophy of life or um, a way of looking at the world, uh, you know, I don't know. Actually, what it did is confirm to me how similar I was to them. That's mm. what it did. And it, made me connect to a thinking about the world and a thinking about the spirit of things and the energy of things mm. where, um, okay. So I was not raised Christian or any of those major religions, which was 
a great gift because I'm just as spiritual as the next person, you know, so you, you figure out your own way or yeah. you figure out your own program. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think I would, I could say that I'm like quasi animistic. So being there was like I was with people who thought like me, you know, it was not yeah. like observing and saying, oh, how exotic and the, how different. For me, it was like, all right, here I am, you know, it's like, we think alike. I mean, I see that in your sculpture. I mean, I feel like the way you describe them on your website, it's like they're beings, mm -hmm. you know, especially a, when they're representing people. I mean, it seems like they are people to mm -hmm. you in a way. They yeah. have personalities, they have histories, they have a story. Mm -hmm. It's something that is really difficult to talk about, especially oh. publicly. I mean, you know, we're speaking, okay, here it is on the podcast, but yeah. um, because it's not very much a thought that is in fashion I in see. the art world, let's say, you know, where you, you know, just like, oh, you know, you don't really? talk about it. I, yeah, I, okay. I don't think so. I, I mean, I do think so. I do think it's not in fashion okay. at all. I think it's a... Uh, you know, you go out a little bit on a limb if you say, well, I'm a, da a Taoist and an, uh, I'm an animist. And, oh. you know, I, I dance with the universe and what the universe offers, I look at it and say, okay, it's a gift. I have to figure out what direction that gift is going or what this gift wants me to do with it Yeah, is my way of doing it. And then also recognizing the spirit in things. No, I don't, I don't think, I think it's, it's a popular, think well, it's it might be beautiful, but it's not very popular, you know? Oh, really? Um, I guess I, I don't know. I mean, it's popular to me. Right okay. Now, very good. For sure. Well, very good. Since you and me are having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, to me, that seems like a way of looking at life that's, that I've read in other ways that's, yeah, it's just accepting what comes making the most of it, not being a victim, you mm -hmm. know, and um, seeing seeing something positive in everything, seeing the spirit in everything, mm -hmm. people and objects, and well, just treating life. the world the better, you know, or the right way, treating people the right way, you know? If you see it as a gift, also, you connect to your own gratitude about things, yeah. you know? But that's definitely, well, I don't know, but I don't think that's the way art is taught in art schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You know, I yeah. think I think you have to have like a very um, uh, edgy type of, um, you know, I do art because I'm, you know, denouncing the, yeah. you know, the <laughs> absurdity or the hypocrisy or the whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and that's I fine. I, I mean, that's just like, that's the beauty of being in a community like Austin, where there's so many different artists. There are like hundreds of us. Yeah. Um, as we know from the tours, you know, from the big medium, uh, East tour, West tour, studio right. tour. But, and so there are all these different voices and different opinions. And that's, that's the beauty of it. And for me, I, the more it goes, the more I feel like I can be free of really being who I am and thinking what I'm thinking. So that's what you thank you for bringing this up. That's really my experience of being in, in uh, among the Inuit obviously by my looks, you know, they could tell right away I was different and there obviously were differences. But when I was there, I felt a real communal spirit hmm. and the little kids that I was playing with, it was really funny. One time I was talking with a mom and it was really warm in the house so the new houses are built and the heat is cranking even when it's really cold outside and um i was with her and i took off my big sweater i had like this giant pink sweater <laughs> and two little girls grabbed it and then they put and then it was one with the the color is like 
kind of like navy style. So it goes from shoulder to shoulder, yeah. you know, like a long, you know. And the two girls popped in there and then they put both their heads sticking out of the sweater. And they yeah. were doing kind of a Martha Graham type of, uh, <laughs> you know, type of dance yeah. like that they had created. So they were like this funny one, two-headed creature, pink creature, yeah. you know, and they were laughing. And, and the mom said, and he looked at it to them something and the girls stopped and they looked at me and they said something back to their mom and the mom burst out laughing and I said well what happened and the mom explained she says well I told them to not destroy the Haluna's sweater and they stopped and they looked at me and she said she's not a Haluna we can go ahead and you know and it was like and the mom was amused because for her I was clearly a Haluna of course but for the girls it was like well she's not a Haluna she's comfortable with us you know she's fine Just, she's part oh. of us and that, that was really a great compliment you know and a great honor yeah. to feel this but I mean it was superficial I was there only you know a few months it's not like I lived there for a long time yeah. and I was a visitor and you know you take the experience and then you leave and then and then you uh, cherish your memories forever, you yeah. know, in a different life. I want to pick up on one thing that you said, communal spirit, mm -hmm. because I feel like um, just through the p pandemic, through the last year, I mean, I suppose in a way, I'm just speaking about my life, like I've kind of always, I guess I see myself as somewhat of a loner, but I mean, even just and kind of an introvert, but even like this last year, it was even more of an excuse to go inside and separate and be sequestered. And I feel such a craving for a communal spirit, you know, and I just, it's like a, a tribe or a group of people like that are all invested in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like, I don't know that I've ever really had that, you know, and I, I crave that. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, kind of just wanted to share that I, th I think about that. Mm -hmm. um, well, you're the opposite of me then. Yeah, why? Well, because um, I am very extroverted, I think. Yeah, you know, right. like people right, can right, describe right, right, right. me as a very extroverted person. I'm very much of a, give me, give me a thousand people in a day, you know, and I go for it and I feel like energized by it. Ah, it's like yeah. a lot of people get exhausted by it. But for me, it's energizing a contact with people. I mean, of course, if they're nice people, you know, if people yeah. are going to start like aggressing me, that's a different story. I'm, I'm really sensitive, sure. you know, so I, I would react to that. But having the existence of the other people is comforting to me, even though I'm extremely clear that, you know, humanity is not such a nice, we're not such a nice species uh, all around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, there's beauty and then there is a lot of horror, but, uh, and for me, the experience was several friends um, wrote me a little note and said, Valerie, it must be so hard for you, you know, with the pandemic. They said, we're all isolated and how are you coping? And, or, you know, something. And for me, it's like, I'm fine. I've, I've, I've seen so many people like mm. uh, every weekend I would go to. I don't know, four or five openings a weekend. Yeah, and then, no, you me know, too. and hobnob with everybody and just feel like very much in the community. So I missed my students because I used to have this beautiful friendship with my students that would come here and I would make dinner and then we'd do French immersion and speak French for three hours while eating and drinking wine and it was very fabulous. I'm sure. So, so that was like really sad. <laughs> that was a really sad, that's a, that's a, that's a loss. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But besides that, I found for myself, I enjoy my own company. Yeah. 
very much. And no, I do so, too. So I do when too. I see people, that's the Taoist. When I see people, fabulous, lots of people, wonderful, bring it on. And if there is no one, fabulous. That's more time for myself, mm. my own reflection, my own. Uh, I was able to catch up with um, uh, with things. I think for people who were in the pandemic without the outlet and stuck with either people they didn't want to be with or with children that they had to do school too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a very tragic experience. And I think that's very different from my experience. So my experience, this coincided with my children being actually in their 20s and gone. Yeah. Where I really had for the first time in 20 some years, time to think my own oh, thoughts. Oh, yeah. So right. for me, this coincided with a way, with a time where I could revisit things that I had to put aside for 20 some years. Yeah. And that's where I pulled the boxes of photos and I started writing more. Um, I did a lot of music, uh, musical related things. I coach, uh, French for musicians. Mm. And with the Zoom, I was suddenly able to do a lot of that nice. online. And so I've done it with people in, I have an opera singer friend in Baltimore and I was coaching her friend, uh, her teach, her students. Um, and then in other states as well. So that was a lot of music. I decided to teach myself some pieces I always wanted to play, uh, on the, on the keyboard. And I did that. That was amazing because I never wow. have time to do that. So I had time when the pandemic started. I decided, okay, that's like, that's going to be like my sabbatical. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm thinking like until April 2022, I'm still sticking to that number until April 2022. That's my time to oh, do wow. all the yeah. work I want to be doing and all the things I want to be doing. And I've been really actively going for it. Yeah, I, it, this, I think this another quote that I wrote down from your website kind of fits in perfectly here. Freedom for me is essential. I use my creativity for my art, but also to create my life. I love people and art is a people connector. I never experience loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I'm never bored. I forgot to write that. I need to add that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never lonely and I'm never bored. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm bored if I'm stuck somewhere that I can't just be doing my own thing with yeah, boring people. Right. That's the only, and then I hate it. I have zero patience for it. I, I do anything. I scream, I, I'll, I'll leave. I mean, I can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, if I'm prisoner somewhere, but that's the only time, you know, I'm never bored if, if there is nothing to do. So supposedly nothing to do. That's when I can do a hundred things. So back to your timeline a little bit. So mm. you, you went through 25, 26 years of your life without intentionally yes. pursuing art. Yes. And then you, uh, and you felt overfilled. So you started taking classes and you learned how to weld. And then you became a mom, which was, it seems like a little bit, like you just mentioned, a little bit of a conflict with yes. kind of like, I want to do my art, but then now I'm a mom and yes. it takes a lot of energy. So, well, it's also because I was also trying to make a living. Yeah. So, right. you know, you do those, you do three things really. And the children part was non-negotiable for me. I always was a mom. I think I was born a mom. Uh, I am a mom. Yeah. Uh, I'm very maternal. I just like, I adore my kids. I'm just, I, that was not anything I could have negotiated. I mean, that was, yeah, right. I had to do it. Uh, sometimes I have friends who say, well, I'm, we're thinking maybe having children. I said, that means no. Mm. No. If you don't absolutely crazily, like you can't live without having children, then, you know, 
have them. But if it's not the case, then don't because hmm. it's it's you know it's, it's going to take commitment. Right? Yeah, it's going <laughs> it, to that's what it's going to take when you that it's going to take the remembrance of that strong you know pull of like no 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 I need to be a parent. So for me it was like. I had to do it and I, it worked to do it when I did it because it was after the museum and slowly I could create my French school, um, which came kind of a, um, it was opportunistic. You know, I was here with my children and I wanted, I didn't want them in daycare and there was not an obvious museum for me to work in. Mm. And I decided, well, one thing I could do is create something from my house. And so I created a little French daycare, French immersion daycare when my kids were small too. Oh, yeah. And so I was with other moms and other babies and we had created those French, we called it French lunch. And so my friends would wait until my daycare was over around noon and then they would show up and we do kind of a potluck <laughs> and do put blankets outside. We were doing the manet déjeuner sur l'herbe, you know, we're half naked on the grass outside <laughs> with the babies and, and, uh, and it was really fantastic. And then sometimes I say, okay, guys, it's time to put our clothes back on because the moms for the afternoon classes are coming, yeah, yeah. you know, I was doing after school classes. And sometimes we would see the moms glued to the window and looking at us having this fabulous time, <laughs> having a French lunch outside. It was really wonderful. So that was, you know, you, you make do with what is given to you. And, and if that's, you know, create a community with other parents and the whole parent group thing is essential. That's the only way parents and kids can survive the experience. I think, you know, you would, you would commit murder. I mean, if you didn't have those support with other parents. It's like the communal thing. Yeah. Communal no, parent, exactly. parental. And I'm sure that's how the tribes do it. I mean, they're probably all oh, yeah, helping each other raise of each course. other's kids, right? Yeah, 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 of course. So that was really good. But then um, when my kids are coming, okay, you know what? I really should be 40 now because I, I, I could use those 20 years, you know, for yeah. more of my work. But that's okay. I feel very young. So. so what changed seven or so years ago where you say that you finally became a working you knew you started working as a professional artist like full-time I um, suppose, maybe. my kids were older that was yeah. a big chunk of it they were kind of like self um you know they could do, do they didn't want me involved with what they were doing yeah, right, you know you know right. so um so that's i think that's what it was and it was finally i could reconnect i remember I remember what happened. So when the kids were tiny, you know, nothing happens. You're kind of in a black hole for like the first two years of your kid's life. You have no memory of what happened or, you know, <laughs> it's just like you don't know. And then they get a little bit older and I started painting. And that's mm. when I started painting because I could do it. I could have an easel and I could have, I could paint. Whereas I couldn't really weld and start doing this yeah, thing. Right. So I started to do painting and I discovered I loved it. And as a colorist, here was where my colors so that was really wonderful. And little by little, I think I was building up that part. And then I started to teach more. But at the same time, I was also making more art. And I was starting to see more art and go to museums more. Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, and then I decided I really wanted to weld again. And I went to ACC. I signed up for the uh, welding classes. And the shop at ACC is incredible. The studio is amazing. Yeah. And I had access to a lot of the, the tools and the instruction and all of that. And I started to make a lot of sculptures and right away jumped back into what I was doing at the Corcoran and starting exhibited, uh, pretty quickly. But 
it was hit or miss. As you know, there is a huge aspects of art making, which involves the administration, the marketing, the yeah. uh, apply for calls, figuring out where the calls are, doing your website, you know, all those things. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't do that and teach my classes and be a mom, you know, and cook. I love cooking and I wanted to feed myself and feed my kids. And so, you know, all of that was a lot. But little by little, I was able to do more of it. And I reduced, I stopped the daycare. And I had more adult students, so I was more in the adult world, which yeah. was also very good and feeding my inspiration and, and feeding my energy, you know, in that way. Yeah. And I kept for the longest time, I love teenagers. I think teenagers get a bad uh, rap, but teenagers are fabulous. And it's such an important age. And that's really when they need support from understanding adults. And I love my classes. I had a uh, in particular, some teenage girls that were fantastic. And so I kept my afternoon classes making tea and, and having like some cakes and stuff. And then we would do like right, sit around this table with all the markers and then do grammar. And, just, and they loved it, you know, and they were fun and teasing yeah. each other. And I did lots of camps. I did a lot mm. of summer camps, Christmas camp, spring break, um, winter camps and Easter camps. Or spring break camps. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that was really fun too. So, but I, I, I reduced that a lot because I wanted to push more of the art. Yeah. And so, so at that time, I decided, okay, I'm really going for it and, and doing it. And I've done so many exhibits and it, yeah, it, it, I, I really applied to a lot of calls, but also I was starting to be invited. And I was really shocked at some point I was doing my CV and I entered and it's like, oh my God, I've done like 15 exhibits every year. That amounts to here. We are like over 50 exhibits in three years. That's, that was yeah. huge. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot of work. That's a, yeah. A lot of work. Mm -hmm. Wow. But it worked out. I was just at the beginning of the pandemic. I was invited to do a solo show in Midland. Right. And I brought over 60 uh, pieces, sculptures and paintings and, um, Less than a month later, the gallery closed, of course, like everybody's, yeah. you know, and so the show was kind of stuck uh, right. in there. And uh, however, they they nonetheless sold a whole bunch of works, oh, which was wonderful. like, they told me they sold more work than they had done in previous exhibits. So I don't know how they did a beautiful job, you know, in, in bringing in people, but people liked it. And instead of doing a two-month exhibit, it ended up being until July when they said, okay, we're going to redo the gallery. You need to come and get your work. And yeah. I said, well, I'll go, I'll rent a truck, but I need, to, I'm not going to sleep at the hotel. I'm not going to sleep at anybody's oh, right, house. Right, right. So if you have an inflatable mattress, I'll bring my own bedding and linen pillow and I'll sleep <laughs> and, in the gallery. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, that's what I did. I went with the truck. I drove the truck across the country. It's a little scary. I had this huge truck, fortunately, because people drive huge trucks really fast and, yeah. and their bumper stickers are a little aggressive over there, sure. you know, for my blood. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Uh, I got there and, uh, and really I slept in the gallery. And then I, you know, two, two guys, two, two friends, new friends, you know, from over there helped me and they loaded the stuff on the truck and I drove back. So that was an excellent experience, but it was totally un, unexpected how yeah, well it how worked it for being in the pandemic. Wow. And then I got the surprise in the pandemic of getting this message from uh, Moya McIntyre about being part of the Fam Abstract, right. which was also completely unexpected because I really thought exhibits were going to be 
dead, you know, for a good while. Yeah, right. And we had planned with Scott Rolf and Jason Webb, we had planned to, we had applied to the Georgetown Art Center to do this exhibit with uh, called Found because we use reclaimed material. Right. And uh, that's happening very soon. It's opening on February 19th. Okay. So there's suddenly, even though I think I'm on my sabbatical and no exhibit is happening and it's my time to do other things, it's still happening, which is beautiful. It is starting to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, I guess the thing that I'm kind of thinking about is like 25, 26 years of your, your, the first part of your life, just, you know, seeing all this art and, and then, you know, your years in DC and all these experiences, like how, how does that all, overflow into your work how does it manifest in your work can you kind of see it do you see all the influences oh totally totally there's not one piece that i do that is not i i don't i don't work in a formal way in the sense it's not that i want to do a, a piece that is aesthetically pleasing period my work if if i find a piece a fragment you know or i have an image it's always related to one of my experiences in the past. Mm. And I think that's, it's almost kind of like making a portrait of a memory. Yeah. A memory or a portrait of something I encountered. And that I, you know, it's, it's honoring a person or honoring a, the spirit of an, uh, an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never purely formal. And when I choose which element I include in my sculpture or in my painting, it always has some meaning in relation to that. And that's my, my way of moving on, you know, oh, this came and here I'm making this material piece with it. And then, it, you know, and then I, it's imbued with that spirit, you know, yeah. I think in a way, and then I see another one and it's fun. I mean, it's like, that's why I'm never bored. You're never bored. Because it's just like a never-ending... It's a never-ending flow of... Uh, yeah. I mean, and anybody has that. You can be a 10-year-old. I mean, yeah, I see a 10-year-old. Actually, I saw a little boy who's five last night. And we were playing outside. And um, he says, you want to see my new bunk, bunk bed? And I say, yeah. And so we went in, <laughs> you know, and it's like... And then and I start climbing on the stairs. And he says, oh, grown-ups can't climb up and I said oh that's okay I'm not a grown up he says okay you know <laughs> like, it was, but just like the, the, he would tell me stories and just like the spirit of it and the sweetness of it and it's like you can be five and, and it's the same you could create with I mean like little children when they make art that's what it's about they, yeah. they do this airplane and they do this tree and they do you know so that's always been kind of um, and not that there aren't opportunities for this I guess I've just I haven't pursued them but um, I've always lamented in a way like the loss of the play as an adult for the most part. I mean, mm. maybe you, you can't relate to that. <laughs> no, but <I> can't. <laughs> uh, you know, just like when I had my studio at Canopy and the, the elementary school was next door and uh. I would just hear these kids screaming and yeah. running around being crazy. And it's like, you know, adults don't necessarily do that or get to do that that no, easily we, no, anymore. No. You know, that play. I mean, you're so playful and I just yeah. I love that. No, I, I don't scream like that. I, <laughs> I, I sing a lot though. You know, when the pandemic hit, I, I started, I played music 24-7, seriously. Mm. And I was singing along all of it. I mean, I went through a huge, um, at the very beginning, I was not so active in my, you know, my 
consciously going into my work. I was, I had a time of reset mm. and the reset was a lot like really singing really loudly, mm. you know, and dancing in here, like, and then having the music and singing along any, I listen to a lot of classical music, a lot of Baroque and early music a lot. And, you know, I know it well, I listen and just, I can't, you know, go along all those things, but, yeah. and then some pop music, whatever, you know, there's whatever was playing. I mean, rock, not pop, but, yeah. you know, I don't like pop, but, you know, rock music, just going and singing. And it was like getting all this energy out, just like the kids, they're at recess and they've been forced to sit on their butt for, oh, you know, true, yeah. three hours and they can't stand it. And the energy, like the, it's all itching to move and they get released into the playground. And, ah, you know, this, it's like a birdhouse. Uh, actually, in my apartment in Paris, so next to Giacometti's studio, there was a school. There was also, there were two other things. There was a, a, a elementary school, and I could hear this at recess. And in France, recess is much longer than it's the stupid academic system here where it, math is more important than recess for elementary school. I like, know kids need to have twice an hour plus an hour for lunch. I mean, you know, that's yeah. basic yeah, civilized way of doing it. <laughs> but anyways, so there was a lot of that. And then the next, the third element of that from my apartment in Paris was there was a wood shop. Mm. And I could hear, which I love. I love the, the sound of saws and the sound of tools working. Yeah, yeah. For me, one of the sweetest sounds in the universe is the power hammer going in the metal shop. It was a chomp, 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 You know, when it goes, oh, wow. like when, when you actually, so, so chomp, chomp, chomp is the, is, is the pressure going yeah, and activating yeah, the thing. Yeah. And then when you, press the pedal and then you actually forged you know chum, 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 really I, I love that it's like oh my god this is so sweet I, you know just I could have a That's recording awesome. of this like to take me into a trance and wow. then and then those saws going in the in the wood shop was you know high pitch yeah. so but the smell of the sawdust coming up to the sixth floor oh wow and the noise of the kids and then Giacometti studio and then there's a big square also in front of me and there was a huge uh, chestnut tree uh, horse chestnut, which is a different kind of tree. But anyway, it was really tall and it had pink flowers that come like, oh, wow. they look beautiful. They kind of like lilac, but reverse, they go pointy from the top. Anyway, they would bloom. And, you know, so I had like, it was a magical. It was, was that a, like a pivotal moment for you? I mean, did something yeah, happen? Oh, yeah, it, well, of like, course. What changed? What happened? Well, I was, I was living without my parents, you know, oh, I was, okay. I was living my own grown up life and I was doing what the fuck I wanted what the fuck I wanted you know it's just like yeah. I was going to school it was fabulous I was just studying in an excellent university in French university you can actually pick or you could at the time pick a topic that interests you you, you know even if it was off curriculum so I was taking exciting wonderful classes and it was very stimulating the, mm. the cinema scene I always loved cinema uh, I often felt like if I was 20 now, I would go to uh, uh, film school. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, the cinema scene was very, very good in Paris. I'm, I'm sure it still is. And there was a little uh, cinema d'art et d'essai, kind of like uh, like the Austin Film Society, if you yeah. want. You know, not far, I, five minutes from me. And so I had the program. And when I wanted to take a break from my 
studying and my writing and all of that, I would look what was available and I would run and see a film and then come back. I didn't have TV, you know, and of yeah. course we didn't have Netflix and we didn't right. even have like videos, you know, to watch. Right. But the, the, the cinema scene, actually every city I lived in had a very brilliant cinema scene because um, in Berkeley, there was the uh, Pacific Film Archive, which uh, right on the campus, and that was incredible. In DC, there was the um, the film series at the uh, National Gallery mm-hmm. in the East Wing, and that was incredible. It was they had like whole series of films showing. So it's been really fabulous to be able to. Uh, in Quebec City, was not the case, but I was so busy, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like you get from cinema? Like, how does that feed everything? Or what does that mean? Does that mean well, something special v- for you yeah, aside from everything else? I'm, I'm, well, I'm very visual, okay. you know, yeah, so right. um, I see those images and it's like some more treasures of other lives, other yeah. possibility. I'm, and I'm still at heart. I'm an anthropologist because I love people. And then, so in the movie, you see people's lives and I'm always interested in that. Yeah. I love the... I love how we invent things, how we cope with things, how we, what happens to us. It's fascinating to persevere me. and yeah. We'll persevere, but it's, it's in being inventive. Yeah. You know, something is presented and how are you going to do it? I think for us as artists, uh, the pandemic was hard in some economically certainly was hard for many people but i think we were probably better equipped because we can invent something that has not been done before yeah and if somebody is used to having the routine and the certain structure but not used to inventing their life it's harder when something like yeah, this hits right whereas for us it's like okay oh it's this let's see what we can do with way, it flow that way. Yeah, yeah let's learn something new and create something different yeah that's a wonderful, uh, yeah, attribute of artists that I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm wondering maybe if we could kind of wind down talking about just where you are in this moment and what you see going forward. Like, how do you feel about your art now and what you're making, or what do you what inspires you? What What do you see going forward for you? More and more. Um, I mean, thank you for this question. My first answer is like, I'm going to die when I'm 125. So that's yeah. going to be, you know, or later, but not sooner. <laughs> so that's the plan. So, you know, I still have uh, more than half of, you know, I still have a good chunk. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm excited because I'm so curious. You know, as I said, like for movies, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. And I want to see what we're cr- going to create and what kind of art we're going to create and yeah. what kind of films and what kind of writing. I love writing and I love literature. So, and I'm going to die making art. I mean, there's no question. I'll never stop. I'll never retire. I can't. I'll yeah. find one way or another. So I might lose my eyesight. You know, I might lose some function in my hands to make things, but I can make something else. You know, you, you adapt and you improvise and then you yeah. do something else. So I think that's the, the short answer is like, I'm going to make art for the rest of my life. It's very clear. One thing that came up more and more, and that's part of what I was talking about in tying uh, more of the various parts of me together is I've been writing. So I started writing my journal again, much more with the pandemic and yeah. I love it. I had missed it, 
when I was working at the museum, I was so busy all the time and so exhausted all the time. There was just no time even for journaling, which is a shame because so many interesting things were happening. But regardless, so um, I'm actually doing some creative writing classes at the moment and it's stirring up more memories. And Mm. I want to integrate, I've always been interested in the relationship between words and writing and art. So a lot of my art, a big chunk of my art actually is related to that. I've mm-hmm. done um, sculptures of love letters, which are, of course, whimsical and not really serious. I think welding is like marking, not just drawing marks and art marks, but also words yeah. and ideas. I, I really love the uh, windowsill poems. I mean, those uh-huh. are just gorgeous. Oh, thank you. They're going to be at the found exhibit in Georgetown. So that's really nice. And then here I'm surrounded by my writing sets. So the writing sets here is, uh, you know, where I have the the, the pen holders and the sticky note holder is the most important uh, attribute for your, you know, (laughs) it's like a fancy, elegant little thing for just your sticky notes. And then uh, a writer's set and then a cup holder and then tiny picture of your spouse holder where I actually have my kids there. But, Uh you know, it's just like fun doing things that are related to where we write and how we write. And I've always loved writing. You know, another missed career is as a writer. So, uh, but it's like, why not blend the two? I mean, like the little bio that you're talking about, that was one little foray into writing something and then illustrating it and having fun with it. And I think the the words, the language, the writing and the art feed each other in a beautiful, symbiotic, supportive relationship. Mm. So I have a few projects I've been doing that are relating related to this. Yeah. And I have a you know big ambition to do a big series. I like to work in series. I like to something comes up from an encounter or, you know, from the universe, really. And then I grab it and then Mm. I want to explore it. And then I really want to go to the depth of it. I think a lot of artists work this way. Yeah, You know, you see something and you do a whole bunch of them because you want to not exhaust the essence of it, but I mean, exhaust the interest of it for you. Mm. Go to the end of what you can do with it. So that's about just being very aware of everything that's happening in your life and kind of pulling out the things that, make you curious that you want to explore or go deeper yes i think i think as artists we're mostly present mm-hmm. you know people think artists are like aloof and or i mean whatever people have for representation like you know um cuckoo you know or just like <laughs> you know elsewhere or not but i don't think that's true at all i think artists were like anthropologists were like uh, were describing what we perceive and we have to be very sharp and very present and mm-hmm. very lucid yeah you know and when we do it i mean it's such a we're so lucky those of us who can actually get to do it many people could be artists but they don't allow themselves to be because you know they they make barriers or yeah or they don't have time or really it truly is materially not possible yeah but for those of us who do it, it's uh, it's such a blessing. Just like I was saying, it's a Absolutely. blessing. It's a we're really lucky to be able to do that. So we can use life as a material, yeah, and make something with it. I'm wondering, 
can you describe, is there anything specific about your journaling practice that would be interesting to share? Oh, I've been thinking about my dreams and reflecting and, and, and writing on my dreams, but then I, I write every other page or, or I write on one side of the page and the other one is blank because when I go back or an idea come that is not directly in the flow of it, I can mark in the mark in the margin. I like to write with my fountain pens. I like to write by hand. I don't do it on the computer. Yeah. Uh, although I do love typing on the computer and, you know, the ability to edit and yeah. uh, do things with your text. But uh, the journaling also reinforces, oh, actually one kind of a, Informal journal, if you want, is my studio book. And my studio book is where I start, when I start working, I write the date and then I write like a few lines of where I am, either mm. in my mind or my mood or one thing that is important. And then I write what my plan is for the work for this session. Oh, interesting. And then, and then I go for it. And it's fantastic because uh, well, first, it sets me in the mode to do it. And two, because when I go back and it's like people say, okay, we want the dates for all, you know, so you, you send off photos of your work. Say, when was that made? And what was that called? And I go back into this journal. Mm. So it's more like a captain's log, you know, type oh, of thing. Oh, wow. That's cool. And then, so I go back into my captain's log and then I look and they say, okay, this is the one. And then I see the drawings. And then when somebody buys a piece, I can make a, a copy of that and send oh, them the page yeah. of the genesis of this piece. Nice. And I don't draw. So the way I work, I don't really draw the work as I want it to be since the work you know kind of uh, happens to me yeah but I when I conceive of it I set it up in a certain way and then I draw what I'm seeing as I'm going so it's kind of a, it's a little different from taking a blank page doing a big you know circle and then you know whatever and then you then you go ahead and do the piece it's not like that I for me I start seeing the piece and I start getting the chunks together and I see what I'm missing, but I draw it then as a memory of the piece. Also, if I don't finish in one session, which of course you don't finish in one session, you know, you have a way of reconnecting ideas. So I sketch a lot of my work and then I write ideas as they go and it goes all over. And it's very, <laughs> wow, it's very playful and, and fun to have. So that's actually a really fun journal I yeah. have. And I've had that since the very beginning of, since the first time I was at the Corcoran um, doing oh, as a really? student. Yeah. So I have those journals from, from that time and what it's related to. And then now with the website, it's fun because I can write, as you know, you know, you click on the piece and then sometimes there's a little story that yeah. explains what that's about. Those are great. And um, it's a different approach. You know, a lot of people have a website where you get the picture and then nothing. And that's another approach to it. And that's totally valid, of course. And that's, I think, more popular, again, than what I do. And, yeah, you uh, share a lot of details. I mean, it's, it's yeah, fun to read. Uh, well, good, good. I'm happy. And, and I'm thinking, you know, it's if people don't want to read, they don't have to. They yeah. Just look at the piece and ignore all the... They can come up with their own idea, but it's offered if people want to. Yeah, I see this. Actually, I see this book on your table here, Writing the Memoir from Truth to Art. Yeah, so that's the class I'm taking about memoir. And it's been so fascinating for me to I've resuscitated some things that happened. And then I look them up now that we have everything is on on the internet. And I found a news. Uh, uh, I was almost in a plane crash. Oh, and 
and I was curious. I was telling my kids about it and they didn't know about it. And, um, and I really thought I was going to die. And I was before I went to Canada and I, I didn't want to die because I knew I had to have children and I couldn't die before I had children. So it was very tragic as wow. an, uh, a reflection on my disappearing before I had made my children. But, um, I told my kids, uh, it was like three, four days ago. I told my kids about that experience in the plane and then I decided, how much of it do I remember that was actually true? And yeah. when exactly was it? And I looked in and an article from the New York Times popped up about that flight. And I read all the details about it. And that was confirming a lot of the details I remember from 1985. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was stunning. It was like amazing. So that was fun. So that's a that's another kind of writing project you're talking about. That's memoir. another writing project, but that's also feeding feeding it's all related it's also feeding my work yeah well i think we could finish there how do you feel yeah i think that's wonderful is there anything else you want to talk no, about no i had you know i've been thinking about what we could talk about i think we talked about so many interesting things that's fabulous yeah i think it's a good introduction at least we can always do a second interview yeah and i miss i miss all of you my friends but it's so yeah, fun to listening. hear. Yeah, I know. I know they're listening. So it's like, I, I miss you. But, um, but it's just, it's, it will happen again. I'll see them again. And I love that so many of my friends have done a podcast with you because, you know, I, I mentioned I love cooking. And one of the things I do, if I'm not listening to music, is put your, one of your podcasts. And so it's like I have one of my friends in the kitchen with oh, me, nice. you know, telling me stories <laughs> as I, it's you and another friend, you know, telling stories as I'm cooking. I love that. I'm honored. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you so much, Scott. That's fabulous. I just love hearing about your life and I love hearing about all the things you've done. And it just inspires me to um, push beyond my boundaries, my own limits that I create for myself and, and create a, a fun, playful, adventurous life. Oh, so wonderful. thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Hey, it's Scott. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so appreciative of your time, investment, in listening to these conversations that I have with these amazing people. I'm very grateful for you. And if you want to learn more about me and the podcast, just check out scottdavidgordon.com. Take care. Thanks.